the wise men's worship moved them forward in a journey of faith. It led them to Jesus. This message is the fourth in the series, Come Let Us Adore Him. The message is entitled, The Hands of Worship. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to continue today, actually wrap up a series we've been involved in for several weeks now. Come, let us adore him. We've been talking about worship, the power of worship in our life. And this Christmas, we're focusing on the importance of worship because worship is such a vital part of your life. And everyone is a worshiper, whether you realize it or not, everybody worships something or something, some event, some person. You live your life with an orientation to worship. It's who and what you put first. I want to talk to you about the importance of your hands in worship. We've been looking at the story of the wise men. We've talked about how the wise men came to Jesus, and we're looking at this in this Christmas season, and how they brought their heart to Christ, how they had a heart toward God, and God spoke to them because their heart was in God's direction, and how important it is that we have our hearts right with God, that God wants your heart above anything else in life. And then we talked about the eyes of worship, the importance of having spiritual vision, of being able to look beyond what's happening around you to the God that loves you and cares about you, is powerful for you in whatever you're facing in your life. Vision allows you to worship. And then the last weekend, we talked about the feet of worship, how there's a walk that God calls us to, that we're to walk out our worship in a certain way, and we're called to use our feet for the purposes of God's kingdom and our feet for the purposes of carrying forth the gospel of Jesus to others. And today, as I said, we want to talk about the hands of worship. We're looking at the wise men, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me read this for you. Uh, You're familiar with it, I'm sure, but let me read it for you again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice that last statement. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What I want you to see is that the hands of the wise men were involved in worship. And the presence of Jesus, when you and I enter into his presence, when we begin to understand something about worshiping him, it will involve your hands. Your hands are vital to your worship. You cannot be a worshiper without learning to use your hands as a part of the expression of your worship. The wise men did this. 
we need to do so as well. I want to share with you today four things that our hands do that are key to your worship, four elements that your hands are involved in that will make you a worshiper of God. The first thing we must understand is that hands of worship are hands that reach up to God in trust and in praise. All through the pages of the Bible, we're instructed, we're actually commanded to use our hands in the worship of God as an expression of our trust in Him, as an expression of our praise to Him. Let me read you a few verses here. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 6. Nehemiah has been, the, been rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and they've had this amazing event that has happened in 52 days. They've restored these walls. It's an incredible moment for them. They're having a worship service. Notice what the Bible says that I, uh, Ezra, that's the priest that was there at the time, praised the Lord, the, God, the great God, and all the people, notice this, lifted their hands and responded Amen, amen. Have you ever wondered why do we lift our hands in church? Why do we say amen, amen? Because it's right there in the Bible. The people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and what did they do? They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Psalm 63, verse number four. Let me invite you to read this together with me aloud and loudly. Here we go. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. There's a declaration that praise and worship involves the lifting of our hands to God. Listen to Lamentations 3, verse 41. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. So we're instructed that our hearts are connected with our hands. An expression of our heart relationship with God is demonstrated by what we do with our hands. Luke 24, verse 50, it's now talking about Jesus himself because the greatest example we will ever ever have for our worship is in the worship and the lifestyle of Jesus himself. And we see this in his action. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, that's his disciples, he lifted up his his hands and bless them. So there is this moment in worship, in prayer, in blessing that Jesus himself lifted his hands. And then 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up, what does it say? Holy hands without anger or disputing. So when we worship God, we worship God with our hands. We lift our hands to God. That's why we do it in worship. And the lifting of our hands to God involves the expression of at least four things. You can write these down if you'd like to. They're not on your notes, but they're good to remember. When you lift your hands to God in worship, first of all, it's an act of surrender. It's a declaration of surrender. What is the universal sign of surrender throughout the world? Hands up. When your hands go up, you, you're able to say, you know what, I, I'm surrendered in this situation. And so it's the universal sign of surrender. It's us saying to God, Lord, with my hands up, I am yielding the control of my life to you. I'm, de I'm declaring what's in my heart in relationship with you. I want you to be in charge of my life. It is an act of surrender. The lifting of hands is also an act of trust. Have you ever watched a little child run up to a, a mom or a dad, and oftentimes that little child will throw their arms up toward mom or dad saying, I want you to embrace me, I want you to receive me, I trust you, I'm opening myself 
to you in the same way that when you and I lift our hands to God in worship, there's that moment we're saying, God, I'm confident in who you are. I'm trusting in you. I'm assured, I need you in my life. I'm opening my life vulnerably to who you are. And I desire you to rule and reign in me, yes, but I want you to know that I trust you also. A sign of surrender, a sign of trust. It's also a sign of honor. The lifting of hands involves the declaration of honor. Those of you who've been involved in the military, or you've certainly all of us have seen this in military uh, operations or military ceremonies, that when there's a moment that someone who's superior comes into an environment, as soon as they walk into the room, those who are submitted to their authority do what? They salute, right? There's a lifting of a hand. There's a hand that goes up as a declaration of, I honor your position. I respect who you are. There's a salute to you. My hands are demonstrating the respect of my heart in the same way when we lift our hands hands to God. We are saluting the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who's the one that rules over us, the one who is the superior one. We're the inferior. He's the superior. And then there's another aspect of the lifting of the hands that declares victory. I'm going to read about this in just a moment. But most of you know this as well. If you've gone to a sporting event or watched sporting events, when your favorite team scores a touchdown, or the winning touchdown or a goal, what often happens in the, in the stands and what fans will often do is they will immediately throw their hands up in celebration of a victory, in celebration of something wonderful that has happened. It's a declaration of celebration that we have. So when you lift your hands in worship, you're saying, God, I surrender my life to you and God, I trust you as a little child, trust a father. God, I'm honoring you as the superior one in my life and God, I am absolutely celebrating and confident in your power and your help and in your victory, I salute and I celebrate you. There's a story in the Bible that illustrates this power of the lifting of hands in Exodus chapter 17. Wonderful story of, ex, uh, of, the, of the story of Moses at a time when Israel was facing a battle. Let me read this for you. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. So now Israel, they're in the wilderness journey and there's a group of people called the Am- uh, Am- Amalekites that are attacking the Israelites. And so Moses is going to have to create some kind of defense and some kind of offense against them. So Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So you got the picture here? Here's this battle going down, going on down in the valley. Joshua's leading the battle. Moses is on the mountaintop. He's got his hands up with the rod of God in his hands. And as long as Moses had his hands up, there was victory on the battlefield. But anytime Moses' hands would come down, then the advantage would turn toward the Amalekites. Notice verse 12, Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his 
hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of, the, of Amalek in battle. So here's that story, amazing story. So again, Moses is up on the mountaintop. His hands are up, and the battle is going. It's going for a long period of time, and just like any person would experience, he gets tired and weary. And so Aaron and Hur come beside him, and one grabs one side of his arm, the other grabs the other arm, and they hold it up in support. And there, as long as the hands were up, victory would happen. Let me tell you, as long as you keep your hands up, victory is assured in your life. As long as you keep your hands up. Now, sometimes you might get tired, and sometimes you might get weary, and sometimes you might need to have some We always need to have people around us that are helping us hold our hands up, but when we keep our hands up, there is victory for our lives. Moses showed us this. It's true for your life as well. So what do we learn about hands and worship? Hands of worship always reach up to God in trust. They reach up to God in praise. Let me ask you this morning, are your hands up? Are your hands up? Do you have your hands up this morning? Are you believing God for victory in your life? Are you trusting God? Are you praising God? Are your hands up? The second thing this morning you must understand about worship as it relates to your hands is that when you have a hand or hands of worship, they're always reaching out to give. They're not only reaching up to God in trust and praise, but they're reaching out to give. Hands are used. They're always used to receive and to give. If I were to have a $100 bill here this morning and I were to offer it to you, I would hold it out. I would be giving. My hand would be used to give and your hand would be used to receive. Now, for most of us, we don't need a lot of information. We don't need a lot of training when it comes to receiving, correct? It's not generally a problem. If I held that $100 bill, whoever gets here first, I mean, service would be over, Okay. Everybody would run down here because most of us, we need no training when it comes to receiving. We need training when it comes to giving, amen? Because giving is not what we're oriented toward. We like to think in terms of what can I get, but giving is a key part of worship. You can't, you can't worship, let me say it again, you can't worship without giving. Did you hear that this morning? Say, Pastor, what are you about to ask me to do here. Don't worry, we've already taken up the offering. We're not going to take up another offering, okay? I'm teaching you the principle this morning, that you can't worship without giving. Let's go back to the story of the wise men. Verse 11 says, now they've made this journey. They've traveled all the way from the Near East down into Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem. And then on coming to the house, that's where the child, Jesus was, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and what did they do? They worshiped him. How did they worship him? They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So how did they worship? They bowed down and then they opened their treasures and they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I was noticing that verse recently and went back to do a bit of study on that particular phrase or those phrases you find there, opened and presented with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's interesting the words that are used there. The word open that's used in the Greek language, the original language of the New Testament, means this. It means that every restriction was removed. They opened up. There was no restrictions on them at all. Every restriction was removed. And presented means that they, they freely handed over. It was not taken from them. It was freely handed over. How many you know that somebody can take something from you or you can present it to them? 
So in this situation, it was a presentation. It was freely handed over. And the word that's used for gifts there, interestingly enough, is a word that is used to describe the, any kind of sacrifice or gift given to God, not just, in a, just any kind of gift, but a gift that's given to God, giving with the mindset that this is going to God. These men held nothing back. They came prepared to give. They made their journey all the way from ancient Persia to Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and they had the gifts with them when they came because they understood something. They understood that you cannot separate worship from giving and giving from worship. They said, we're going to worship the king. We better take some gifts with us because we can't worship unless we give. They always go together. What do we give? What does God ask us to give when it comes to our worship? Well, obviously, it involves the the treasures of our life, the material resources that we have that God asks us to share and give uh, to others and to the purpose of God's kingdom. But it goes beyond that. God asks us to give love to people, does he not? It's a gift that you give. When you love someone, you're giving them a gift. You're expressing care and concern. I'll tell you another kind of gift you can give to someone, and maybe it's something that you need to start giving today, and that's the gift of forgiveness to someone. The fact that someone has hurt you or offended you in some way or you feel something inside that you've been holding against them in some matter, an offense in your heart, you've been holding that grudge inside and you make the choice to say, you know what, I want to worship God and if I'm going to worship God, I can't hold on to this. I've got to open this up and let go of this. I've got to release this because I can't be right with God if I'm wrong with my neighbor. I can't be right with God if I've got something against somebody else. And so you, you forgive. Then there's the compassion that we show to people and the kindness that we show. Jesus taught us this in the story of the Good, of the good Samaritan, how we're to look, look out for our neighbors and to be, be people that give in these kind of circumstances. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with giving. Remember I told you we don't have to learn how to take, but we have to learn how to give? The reason we have to learn how to give is because there are two big obstacles in your life when it comes to giving. In all of our lives, number one is the obstacle of fear. Fear will keep you from giving because fear says, if I give, I don't have for me. Because this this idea of fear is based in the mentality of scarcity that if I give, there's not going to be enough for me. There's only a certain amount to go around. If I give, I'm not going to have. And so we we face that that, that feeling, I'm afraid to give. And sometimes it's also selfishness. We're we're focused on what we want with our own lives. And that's why giving is so powerful because when you give, listen, when you give, you break the spirit of fear over your life. When you give, you begin to learn that I can trust God by giving. And God always shows that you can never outgive Him. When you give, you create a flow in your life of God's blessing to you because if God can get it through you, He will get it to you. If God can get it through you, then he brings blessing to you. I'm not talking about just some mystical idea here. I'm talking about the practical reality of trusting God and breaking the spirit of fear and breaking that spirit of self-centeredness in our lives. Another reason that God calls us to give is because giving is what helps advance his work in the world. That when you and I give, we get to be a part of what God's doing in our world. I'm so grateful for the giving in our church. For example, this last year we had over 5,000 people make a first-time commitment of their life to Jesus Christ right here in this church. Over 5,000. You know how that happened? Because people were giving. We had lights on in the building and a place for us to meet and an opportunity for the gospel to be preached and resources to give people to help them grow in their faith. And so this happens because people give. And every time you give, you're a part of that. 
Are you hearing me? Every time you give, you're a part of that actually happening. You're, you're paying for the opportunity to see people come into the kingdom of God. You're investing in the kingdom. You invested in over 2,000 kids this year learning the gospel of Jesus Christ in our different children's ministry and all of our different internship programs and all of our discipleship classes and all those things that happen many times, in fact, that you don't see all that's going on in the church around you. But as you give, you're making a difference. And so he calls us to be a part of the work of his kingdom. And so we make the decision, I want to worship and to worship, I've got to learn to give. Think about the wise men again for a moment. When they came to the house where Jesus was, the Bible says they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, what else? Frankincense and myrrh. Most people don't think about this, but theologians have speculated on this. When Mary and Joseph were in that situation. Herod, back in Bethlehem, was giving a decree for all the baby boys to be killed. And so Mary and Joseph realized they couldn't hang around in Judah and Israel. They needed to be protected from this assault, potential assault of Herod. And so they go down for about two years to Egypt. Now, when you are a young family with a little baby and you've got, to be, you've got to be transferred to another place that's a foreign country to you, how many of you know you've got to live there, right? You've got to have resources to live. And most theologians believe it was the gift of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that allowed Jesus, Joseph, and Mary to be sustained in Egypt for those next two years when they were away from their homeland. How many of you know that the wise men made a good investment, amen, okay? They invested in something that advanced the purpose of God's kingdom. So what are we talking about? Hands are a part of your worship. When we lift our hands up to God from our heart, we're saying, God, I'm surrendering to you. God, I, I'm trusting in you. God, I, I'm, I, I'm saluting who you are. I'm honoring you. God, I, I'm confident in your victory in my life. I'm keeping my hands up. And then, God, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to be a giver because worship involves giving. The third thing I want to share with you today is that hands of worship always reach energetically to work. Your hands are always associated with work in the Bible. You know, one of the first assignments that God gave mankind was a work assignment. Genesis chapter 2, right after creation, notice what happens. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Notice that phrase that God said, now that I've created you, I've created this garden, I'm going to put you, Adam, in this garden, and here's your, your task. I want you to work this garden, take care of it. We also know that he was given the responsibility of multiplying the fruit of that garden. See, work is not a curse. Say it with me. Work is not a curse. Many times we think of work as something we have to do. No, work is not a curse. God designed your work to be a part of your worship. Uh, we've got a little bitty amen right there, okay? <laughs> it's true. It's part of the way that you serve God and part of the way that you serve other people. That God said, I'm going to give you a work to do, and your work is not separate from your worship. Your work is your worship. Your worship is your work. It's a part of it. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever you do, do well, for when you, when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Somebody's saying, I'm looking forward to that day. No, God says, let me tell you, you got something to do right now. Whatever you do, do how? Do it 
well, the Bible says. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. So work willingly at whatever you do, not for people, but for, for God. It's interesting when you study Hebrew language, the Hebrew language has one word that is both translated work and worship, not two different words, one word, one word. It's translated different ways in different settings based upon the context, but it's the same word for work and worship in the Hebrew Bible. What does that tell you? It tells you that God views work as a part of your worship and worship as a part of your work. Your work is very, very important to Almighty God. What should we do with our work? We need to be honorable in our work, amen? Work honorably, and we need to be prayerful in our work, and we need to be people who glorify God through the work that we do, and people that give our best to what we're doing, and people that serve others through our work, and most importantly, we need to be people who use our work as an opportunity to bear witness to other people of Jesus Christ. See, every one of you here today, many of you here today, you have places of employment, work that you're involved in, work that you do. When you go to that place of employment and work with your hands, work with your mind, work with whatever it is that God has given you to work with, He didn't put you there just to earn a living. He put you there to be a witness to other people of the goodness and grace of God on a person's life. You're actually a missionary wherever you work, okay? When you're... You've got to understand this is so this this is how this different mindset from the world around us. We're people with a purpose. Amen? Are you hearing me today? I'm a person with a purpose. I'm not an accident going somewhere to happen. I'm I, I've got purpose in my life. And so if God puts you in whatever job you're in, right there, God said, Yeah, I'm gonna use you here, I'm gonna help you make a living and all that, but I wanna use you because I want you to be someone that through the words that you speak and the example that you set, that other people can see Jesus in you. The other people can be drawn to Christ through the witness that you have there. And so that's why it's important how we work. That's why it's important that we use our work as an expression of our worship because it's beyond just the work that we do. It's the witness that we're bearing to the people around us. So hands of, wor- hands of worship are hands that engage enthusiastically in the work that God has called us to do. Let me take you to my final point today. Hands of worship are always reaching forward in faith. The journey of the wise men, it was a journey of faith, was it not? Let's go back and follow their journey just for a moment. They're in ancient Persia, more than likely probably modern-day Iran or Iraq, when they see a star. One night they're looking up in the sky and they see the star and they say, you know, wow, guys, you know, this is an unusual star. This is not just an ordinary star. That's, that's the star of the king of the Jews. Yeah, that's... And God opened their eyes and they were like, oh, yeah, that's the star of the king of the Jews. We need to get to Jerusalem. We need to find him so that we can worship him. Pack up the camels. We're going on a journey. Get the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh and put it in the sack because when we get there, we want to have something to present to him as a part of our worship. And they engage the journey. Now, that journey, as I told you last week, would have been certainly hundreds of miles, if not over a thousand mile journey that they're going to take just to get to Jerusalem. 
They didn't understand exactly what they were going to find when they got there, how everything was going to work out, but they started the process of faith. They went forward with faith and made it to Jerusalem and then ultimately made it to Bethlehem where they entered into the presence of the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, and worshiped him as we read a moment ago. But their journey involved a journey of faith. They had to move forward in their life. And what I want to tell you today is so important that when your hands are engaged in worship, hands of worship are never reaching backwards. Hands of worship are always reaching forward. Amen? That there's more that God has in store for my life. Amen? Where I'm at right now is good, but I'm embracing all that God has for my future. I'm going forward. God designed you, as I've talked about before, in such a way that your hands, your face, every part of your body is pointing in what direction? Forward. I mean, you have a hard time even scratching your back, right? Okay. Why? Because your hands are designed, your face, is, your ears, everything about you is designed to go forward. And God is giving you and me a message in that he's saying, I want you to go forward in my life. You cannot worship looking backward. You can't worship living in the past. You can't worship living in your guilt and living in your regrets and living in all the remorse of things that have been. You can't live in what has been. You can only live in what is and what will be. Okay? And so God says, I, I want you to worship me, but you can't worship me as long as you're holding on to all that stuff back there. You can't worship me as long as you're living in the regrets of your life. And this is so important as we're wrapping up one year and entering into a new year. There's some of you that you'll look back on 2018 and you say, my goodness, there's been some messes that I've made this last year. I've got some big regrets of things that transpired. Well, yes, that might be the case, but would you leave them behind now and embrace 2019? Amen. Would you say, you know what, I'm not going to live where I have been. Yes, it, it's been a mess. I'm not saying that you make light of those things. You should learn from every mistake that you make. There are lessons in them that you gain for your life. I'm not saying that you treat them casually as though they didn't happen. What I'm saying to you is that, yes, mine out of them, whatever it is that you can get from them, the goal that's there, the lessons you can learn, but please don't let them weigh you down. Please don't let them keep you bound in your life. No, you've got to reach forward in faith. Hands of worship are always reaching forward. Paul the Apostle taught us this. Philippians chapter 3. I noticed on your notes you have Philippians 2. That's a wrong passage, unfortunately, but I'm going to give you the right passage. It'll be on the screen for you. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Listen to what Paul wrote. Paul writes these words. He's in a jail in, in, Philipp- he's in, a jail in Rome, and he's writing to the church at Philippi, a church that he loved dearly. And he writes and says, not that, that I have already obtained all this, talking about his relationship with Christ or have already arrived at my goal. He says, I haven't gotten there yet. Anybody agree with him? You haven't gotten there yet, okay. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, the words that are used there, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'll I'll give you an analogy that certainly most of the guys here can understand. It's a football analogy. He's saying, I'm trying to tackle that for which Christ tackled me. The Christ tackled me. I was, and indeed, that's exactly what happened on the road to Damascus. Paul was going to Damascus, Syria to, to, to persecute believers, and God struck him down, caused him to be blind, revealed himself to him, and he says, I'm trying to take hold of, I'm trying to tackle that for which Christ tackled me. And all of us here today who know Jesus, there was a time in your life that Jesus tackled you. 
For some of you, he chased you around a long time before he got you down. Amen? But he stayed after you. He, he began to run. He tackled you for a reason. He tackled you for a purpose. He tackled you for a plan. And Paul said, I'm now trying to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus tackled me. He, he pulled me down. He got a hold of my life. And then he goes on to say, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Let's stop there for a moment. He's saying, I want to tackle what Jesus tackled me for, but I haven't gotten there yet. But there's one thing I'm determined to do, one thing I will not fail to do, one thing I've made up my mind to do in this pursuit. What is that one thing? Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My goodness, I feel like preaching this morning, okay? I'm telling you. Are you hearing God's word to you today? He said, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm I'm trying to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I don't always get it. Sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I don't quite get it together. But there's one thing I do. I don't let my past rule my present. I don't let my past rob me of my future. It's not going to do that. I'm not going to let the past keep me bound because I'm reaching out with faith. I want to worship God, and I can't worship Him in my regrets. I can't worship Him in my guilt. I can't worship Him in my failure. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that covers all of that stuff in my life, and now I'm reaching out with arms of faith. I'm going forward. I'm not going backward. See, we're talking about hands. Your hands are important in worship. Your hands lifted up to God that says, God, I trust you and I praise you. But even when the times are tough, I'm going to keep my hands up in surrender and trust and confidence that the victory is yours. I trust you, God. I worship you. I pray. My hands are extended in worship. And, and God, I'm not just going to keep stuff to myself. My hands are reaching out to give. I'm going to be a giver to other people. I'm going to learn how to, how to give and let blessing flow through me for the purpose of the kingdom of God and for the purpose of blessing other people. I'm going to be a giver because I can't worship without giving. I've got to make sure that I give. And then, God, I'm going to make sure there's a part of my giving that I'm engaged with my work. There's a work you've called me to do. I'm going to take my work seriously. I'm going to energetically engage in my work because there's no difference between my work and my worship. I'm making my work a part of my worship to you because I'm not doing it for people. I'm doing it for you. And then, God, I'm going to make sure that I, I have arms that are reaching up in faith toward you and reaching out in faith and forward to my future because I believe that there's still more that you want to do in my life and I want to take hold of that for which, for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm not going to let the past keep me from my present pursuit to embrace all that God has in store for my life. Your hands are a part of your Worship. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray today? Father, thank you for this wonderful, amazing story of the wise men. All the lessons that we learn from their lives, their experience, their pursuit of Jesus, Lord, we want to gain these truths for our lives as well, especially as it relates to our hands. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we've gathered in this place, Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to begin to extend our hands to you in a new level of trust and praise and worship, even praising our way through our problems, trusting you for ultimate victory in our lives. Lord, we want to keep our hands up. 
God, I pray you'd help us to always reach out generously in giving. Help us to be givers, Lord. Help us not just to live a life of taking, but let us learn how to be givers, how to worship in our giving. God, I pray you'd help each one of us have a fresh perspective on our work, that we would realize that you've given us work for the sake of doing it unto you and being witnesses to those around us of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today especially for those who've been bound up by things from their past that perhaps have been holding them back, regrets, remorse, failures of yesterday. God, I pray that today would be the day that their, their hands would reach forward in faith to embrace today and tomorrow and the purposes you have for them. We want to take hold of that for which you took hold of us, Jesus. Seal this word in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.